Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 52nd episode of VisionCon Live, your go-to nerdy talk show. I'm your host, Zach Wilson, but you didn't come here to see me today. UK, you see the man of the hour. He's Thane from the Mass Effect series, Kellogg from Fallout 4, Ardo from the Star Wars Squadrons, just to name a few. He's the legendary actor with the meanest goatee in the industry. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the one, the only, Keith Farley. Keith, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. I feel like I should take a bow. I feel like there should be some sort of, uh, you know, audience roar that comes out of that. What a great intro. Thank you for that. Thank you. When we, before we kind of started, uh, you mentioned about your goatee, uh, kind of Colonel Sanders-esque, but what killed me was that you kind of related it to the not quite finger licking good. <laughs> um, I don't even know what that means, but it seemed like it had to be said. I, you know, I'd like to think, we're getting a little bit off topic, guys. Don't worry. We'll get back on track to what the show's about. It's the story of my life, really. Exactly. But, like, just Colonel Sanders himself, I want to believe he was a good guy. I want to. But I just, I don't know, something about him, it, it, it might be the goatee. It might be the fact that his food is just way too finger-licking good. But something about him, I, I feel malicious. Yeah, I, I'm there with you. He's got the plantation owner suit. I didn't want to say it, but thank you for saying uh, well, it. <laughs> so there's a there's a weird, creepy sort of plantation owner vibe that comes off him. Yeah. No, Although it, I know a tiny little bit about him just because my brain is filled with Arcana. Um, he actually figured out the thing that he learned was that you can make fried chicken faster by using a double boiler, a, a pot boiler. Oh, shit. On the stove. And the, the chicken is sort of, it's the it's the herbs and spices, plus the way that they cook it, A, cooks it faster, so it make, allows more chicken to be made, uh, and then it just, it bakes in those juices. So it's not actually deep fried, except maybe the extra crispy probably is, but the original recipe was done in a double boiler, high steam content that would cook the chicken. I mean, everything I know is a lie then. Sorry if I blew your mind this early in the uh, this early in the interview. I mean, we got plenty of time for more, so. But uh, <laughs> whether or not Colonel Sanders with a plantation, the first of many. <laughs> Keith, we had a lot to talk about, so I wanted to start us first off with Keith. You're a household name, whether it be video games, cartoons, you name it. But what I want to get to first is how did we get here? Was showbiz always the plan, or did something happen later on in life that kind of brought you to where we are today? Showbiz was always the plan. From the time I was a wee lad, um, I used to, I remember putting on Romeo and Juliet in my garage with the next door neighbor, Catherine Yarnell, uh, when I was five. I asked my mom one morning, like, what's Romeo and Juliet about? And she was like, it's about a, a man and a woman who fall in love, uh, and then they ride off together, and then they both end up committing suicide. I was like, got it. All right. So, that afternoon, there was a show. Uh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Here I am, Juliet. We got on my little spring-loaded horse, and we rode away. And then we killed each other, and everybody loved it. So I was always that kid on the block who was doing magic shows and variety shows and um, carnivals for multiples or um, muscular dystrophy uh, back in the Jerry Lewis days. And there was never really a doubt. The, the what and how I was going to do it was a mystery. 
Um, so came to L.A. in um, 85 to go to UCLA to study theater, film, and television. Met a lot of people there that I really still work with today. Um, so that was a great experience. Uh, and got into face acting. You know, I was on camera. I did small parts in big shows like Full House and Beverly Hills 90210 and um, the HBO movie and the band played on. And so I was heading along, minding my own business, enjoying that life and kind of going up and down with earnings, you know, making my living as an actor and then going back to waiting tables. And my wife was working at Klasky uh, Chupo, the animated company that does Rugrats, uh, early seasons of The Simpsons, as told by Ginger. Uh, and she was on a show called Duck Man that went on hiatus. And so she ended up picking up a gig with John Chris Felusi, who did created Ren and Stimpy. And so she was having a blast working over there. And when the job came back, she said to me, why don't you go be a PA? And I was like, you're crazy. And she said, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to do with your life? And I was about 30 at the time. I said, I want to be a writer, director, actor. And she said, well, guess what? There's writers in that building over there. Why don't you go meet them? <laughs> go over there and get to know some of those directors in that building. And there's actors coming and going every day. And so I, I did, the, did the production track, which was like a master's degree in animation, but I also got paid. And uh, at the end of three years, I just was tense because it was a, a it was budgets and schedules, uh, which is not really my strong suit. Um, and so a couple of things were happening. One was we were starting to create Bat Boy the Musical. Another was a um, independent film channel had sort of come around and asked my writing partner and I to do some stuff for them. And so I went to my boss and I said, hey, listen, can I take a little time off to sort of focus full time on this? And she said, we've been thinking about you, Keith. And the new creative director of the studio feels like he can talk to everybody on staff except the actors. He doesn't really know how to get in there with the actors, but senses that you might. So if you want to take over voice directing Rugrats, um, you'll work two days a week, maybe one or two days a week. You'll make about what you're making now and you'll be free to go do your Bat Boy and your IFC stuff. Uh, it was a real gift to me um, because Rugrats the series led to Rugrats video games. Uh, Bat Boy, of course, went on to be the best off-Broadway musical of 2001. Um, and so for that period of time, acting kind of went to the side. Um, but in 2006, I worked with the company here in Los Angeles called The Actors Gang. They did a production of 1984. I went down to hang out with my friends, ended up getting cast in the show, and we toured the world. Um, three weeks in Spain, um, Athens, Hong Kong, Melbourne, and all over the United States for like five, six years, uh, off and on. And when we were here in LA, I sent out some postcards, like you do when you're in a show in LA. And an agent came and said, I'd like to represent you for commercials. And I said, you guys have a voiceover department. Um, can I, would you sign me for both? And she did. Uh, and that was kind of the beginning of coming back to acting. And that was 2008, I think, 2009, right around that transition to, to the early teens. And by 2010, 
I had Thane under my belt, and it was Mass Effect. Um, and to be able to celebrate the 10th anniversary this last year was kind of a mind mind boggling. <laughs> 10 years already. That's Where crazy. Did time go. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of Thane, guys, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about him. We're going to dissect three important characters in your large repertoire of characters over the years. But the first one is... We already did Colonel Sanders, by the way. We did. We did Colonel Sanders already. We're already on top of it. Important characters. Four important characters. Well, I want to talk about the best space bro in the universe. Eat your heart out, Chewbacca. I want to talk about Thane Krios. Now, before we dive too deep into Thane, real quick, I just want a brief overview, maybe how you got the part, any fun anecdotes involved with playing the character, and anything at all, Keith. Well, it's it, there is a good story about how I got the character. Um, I was at, I got the audition, and I was out on a on that night, or or some night. I was at a friend of mine's house who has a recording studio in his home. And we had just finished having dinner and a couple of drinks. And I was like, oh shit, I got this audition I got to do for this weird, like, monk assassin dude. <laughs> and could I record it and can we send it from your studio? And he's like, yeah, sure, come on, let's go. So we went into his studio and he said, hey, listen, you know, if you book this gig, you got to buy me lunch. <laughs> and I said, you're on. Um, so we did it a couple of times and he actually was directed me uh, in the audition gave me some really nice notes that I was then able to play and then he dialed it all in to sound really pretty because he's a master engineer um, and we sent it off I didn't think anything about, of it and it was four months later that I got the call that I was playing Thane Krios it took four months Four to make months. that decision. So I didn't even I wasn't even thinking about it when I got that call that was like, hey, you, you're going to play this Thane character. And I had to go back. And it wasn't on my email because it went, came from his house. And I had to try to remember what it was. And when I finally did, I called him up and was like, lunch is on me. <laughs> well, what is so important and I think very interesting about Thane is, I mean, the Mass Effect series just in general, it might as well be called character development, the series. It is chock full of characters that are without a doubt, not the same characters that they are after you first meet them to what the end result is. But I could think of no better example of that than Thane because processing one's, processing any of our deaths is hard enough. But when you know that your death is not only coming but it is rapidly approaching and having to come to terms with that and possibly right the wrongs in your life is something that Thane has to undergo and is just incredible all throughout. So I did want to ask, while playing Thane, was there ever a point when you began to relate to him on kind of a personal level, hopefully not the impending doom portion of it, but uh, <laughs> anything else about Thane? Well, you know, um, I do have a couple of kids of my own um, and while none of us has assassinated anybody, um, as far as you know, um, you want to protect your kids from making the same mistakes um, that you did in your life. Uh, and that was very much on my mind at this point in my life. I think I had, you know, like a seven and nine-year-olds or six and eight-year-olds at this period. So understanding that like the 
the sins of the father shall be visited on the children is a, is a theme that runs throughout literature. Uh, and to be able to play that and also to be experiencing that as my kids were coming of age, you know, just when kids are at that sweet spot where they are fully formed but haven't gone through the ravages of puberty. Um, and they're just so smart and clever and relational. And you just know what's coming with middle school and high school and that period where it's just everything goes haywire in your brain. Um, so wanting to protect them was a big deal. Um, and, and for me now too, as I'm reaching my middle age and you start to realize that, hey, wait a minute, maybe there are fewer days ahead of me than there are behind me. Um, that is something that that you think about. What am I leaving behind? Um, and also, um, Thane is extremely compartmentalized. You know, um, he has this, he is, he is the, the gun that you don't blame the gun for what the person who wields it does. Um, and yet, the Drell memory trances are always bringing up trauma. And I think we do that. We humans do that. Whatever sort of traumatic or intense experiences you have, keep they come up. They keep coming up. You can't keep them down. I mean, Thane's not reveling in his third birthday party where he got Stretch Armstrong, you know. Um, <clears throat> he's thinking about this assassination of someone who he really loved. Um, and those are the things that it's a great way to sort of um, to get at trauma and what that is. Um, so yeah, there's a, I think we all can kind of relate to Thane, even though we're not all badass assassins, as far as you know. Sure. Um, we definitely all have that experience of A, wanting to make sure that our kids, you know, uh, don't make the same mistakes we do, and B, um, coming to terms with, with um, the trauma that we've either experienced or inflicted. I mean, as much as I would love to talk more about Thane for hours, we can't do that. Two reasons, number one, so we got a bunch of characters still to talk about, but number two, it has been recently announced, guys. If you guys have not played the Mass Effect series, it's been recently announced that it will be coming to next generation consoles in an entire collection. So I highly recommend you guys, once it comes out, to check it out because as much as, you know, as fun as it can be to hear about Mass Effect, it is no substitute to actually playing it, guys. So with that said, I wanna talk about a guy who is definitely a little bit more rough around the edges than Thane, though it does kind of adopt a, a pseudo father figure to a character in this game. That of course is the one, the only, Kellogg. Now, before we dive in, just same as Thane, just give us a brief overview about Kellogg, any fun anecdotes involved with getting the part, anything at all. Well, it's funny because I think folks who've, who've you know, are paying close attention, um, this game was shrouded in enormous secret secrecy. Um, Bethesda was really, really intense um, about protecting this IP. I went in on the first day to play this role and they handed me a non-disclosure agreement, which I signed dutifully. 
And then, you know, there you go. Okay, we're all set. And they're like, this is a really big game. I was like, yeah, what is it? And they're like, it's a really big game. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, and we went into the booth and we just started working. Um, and it was a lot of the, the first couple of days where a lot of the taunts that you hear as you're sort of moving through, you know, the maze to try to find me. Um, and they really were sort of asking for a hard-boiled detective feel. Um, so I just kind of, you know, put on a mental saxophone <laughs> in my head and thought of Sam Spade and Humphrey Bogart and just sort of dropped the voice down a little bit and just got into that sort of hard-boiled detective feel uh, and just did my best. And they liked it. Um, later on in the process on some of the later sessions where we got into the the, the deeper and heavier stuff um there's a great director cal l bogdanov who um i've worked with a few times who is just a a, a master uh at sort of taking you into an emotional space where you can really um cut loose uh, and so we got into some of the deeper stuff, even though I still had no idea about who I was or where I was or what exactly I was doing. Cal Al was able just to give me some really nice prompts um, that dropped it in to a, to a deeper place um, about someone who really has, like Thane, uh, regrets for the life he's chosen. And yeah, he has a bunch of regrets and is deeply complex, especially post-mortem. Uh, but, you know, with playing Kellogg, again, who is a very complex character, I even hesitate to say villain because he has motivations behind the things that he does. And he's definitely more than just some Renathug. So with playing such a non-traditional villain with these just, you know, unique and complex motivations, did that provide any unique challenges or experiences while playing him? Well, the sort of the deeply wounded and broken tough guy. I mean, again, we work so often in this business of show in archetypes. You know, we're working with, you know, tough guys, young lovers, especially if you're an anime fans, and I'm sure lots of folks out there are anime fans, these archetypes are clear as day every time you, you flip on and that's what makes it fun is that we recognize and we understand and we identify with these these archetypal characters so that was kind of the key to Kellogg was the sort of broken tough guy that was you know scarred and wounded and even though I didn't really know all of it I just trusted the directors, I trusted the developers, that they knew what was going on, and I just listened um, as much as I could and tried to respond with <clears throat> sincere um, and deep emotions. Um, so yeah, these I don't know why I keep, I keep coming back to the assassin and the sort of guarded, um, you know, wounded warrior type, but uh, they sure are fun to play. Well, when it works, it works. <laughs> they sure are fun to play. 
Well, before we go on, guys, we're kind of semi-approaching halfway point, so I did want to reiterate something. Fans of the show already know this, but for those that are just joining us for the first time, if you're watching this live here on Facebook, guys, plenty of you have already messaged VisionCon directly or put your viewers' comments and questions in the live chat. You still have plenty of time to do so. Like I said, we're just approaching about the halfway point, but you still have plenty of time to do so because we're going to get to those at the very end, guys. And so to round out the trio of characters that we're gonna dissect, I wanted to first start off by saying, if you are a Star Wars fan and have a VR headset, play this game. It's called Star Wars Squadrons, and the character we are gonna talk about is the one, the only, Ardo. Now, like I said, just how we've done it, let's just give us a brief overview of Ardo real quick. Well, Ardo is a, is a Mon Calamari. Um, which I just think is the funniest thing because he does kind of look <laughs> like a squid. Um, so, but he is, he is both, um, he's a badass and he's delicious fried. Um, <laughs> Best of both worlds. You know, what, what more can you really, what more can you really want? Um, Ardo is the second in command. Um, and he, he doesn't come out a whole lot in the game, but he's also like a stealth. He's, a, he's like a spy. He was a bartender for years and a spy as a bartender. So he was gaining intel. So he's like a sneaky individual. Um, this was my one of my first um, performance capture um, jobs. So I was in the suit. I, I animate Ardo with my movements uh, and my face during the cutscenes, And then you hear a lot of me and, ah, there's the great Phil Morris, uh, <laughs> who I got a couple of great scenes with. Uh, and what a joy he was to work with. The whole cast is just top-notch. And again, the great director, Dara O'Farrell, uh, who's also amazing. Um, so yeah, those, those, those days uh, on, that, on that volume, on the performance capture volume, were a heck of a lot of fun, working with really good actors. In, it's, we were all giddy. <laughs> we were all just like kids in the cage. We get to be part of the Star Wars universe, and I get to be of the same race as the It's a Trap guy. Yeah, yeah, Admiral Akbar. Come on. Yeah, yeah, how much more can you ask for? That but, was pretty groovy. I mean, and it sounds like, you know, theoretically, it sounds so fun to be a part of, you know, such an honor. But I also have to imagine with Star Wars being one of the biggest pop culture properties all ever created, was there ever any, like, pressure to, like, perform <laughs> very well with it? No. No. No, I'm kidding. Of course there was. <laughs> you got it. Of course there was. Um, but honestly, though, I mean, every time I go to work, every time we go to work, the goal is always to kick ass. I mean, that's what you always want. I call my business is kick-ass voiceover. Um, and it's because it's undeniable. I mean, if you're really good at what you do, you're going to work. And so when I'm training actors uh, and when I'm auditioning and performing myself, it's always about trying to be the best I possibly can be. Um, and I've trained for a long time. Um, I have a lot of experience under my belt and that helps. Uh, and you call on those, um, you call on those experiences and you just try to do the best you possibly can and try to keep it out of your head Oh my God, it's, it's Star Wars. Oh my God, it's Star Wars. 
um, which eventually you're kind of able to do because you get into a groove with the work and the people that you're working with. And like I said, the, the team on this was um, second to none. And I got to say, being able to sit in the cockpit of an X-Wing or a TIE fighter uh, in VR uh, is a pretty, pretty kick-ass experience. And like I said, guys, I cannot recommend this game enough. If you have a VR headset and are a fan of Star Wars, I will say, before we go on to the next segment, a word of advice. Start out slow. Don't play it. Do not binge this game because, uh, you know, especially if you're not used to VR, because a little bit of a tidbit, this lamp that I have next to my computer, so you can guys see my face a little better, used to have a lampshade. <laughs> I got up a little too quickly after playing the game and uh, uh, my uh, regular reality motion had not acclimated yet and I just took that thing out. <laughs> so take it slow, guys, but the game is Word to the wise. Word, Word to the wise. The next thing I wanted to talk about, though, Keith, is a show that you have actually started. And speaking of variety shows that you kind of grew up kind of cultivating throughout all these years, you've culminated it into this podcast that I want to have a special spotlight to. So I'm going to pull up your website real quick for this podcast. Now, this podcast, this podcast is called Live from the Lounge. So just tell us all about the show, where people can find it, and what they can expect. Well, it is funny because it sort of tickles me because I do feel like a kid when I'm putting this show together. It's like going back to those days of just like being in the garage and putting on a show uh, for my friends, except that I've been doing it. I got 50 years of experience under my belt. Um, so it's a variety show. Um, it features uh, fantastic music um, arranged and performed by John Ballinger and our house band. Uh, they're called Double Batch Daddy, and they are superb musicians. Um, radio theater sketches written by Matt and Carol Almos, who are two of the funniest and most creative people I know. Um, I get together um, with my kids sometimes and sometimes on my own and we talk about movies and we pair them with recipes. So there's this dinner in a movie segment. The last time we did Harold and Maude um, for Valentine's Day. So that one is still up on the, uh, they're all up on the website. It sort of follows the seasons of the year. So we started in December with a um, Christmas holiday episode, uh, but holidays really. And then the new year, yeah, show this, this is groovy. And you can see the, in the new year, we talked about <clears throat> California dreaming, which is like at the beginning of the year, it's a good time to sort of dream up where we want to go um, and think about how we're going to get there. Uh, and then February's uh, episode was Love and Loss, where we're talking about um, love, of course, because of Valentine's Day and all that good stuff, but also the things in our lives that we, in order to get to our dreams, the things that we need to release and let go of. Um, and then I'm working right now on our March episode, um, which is about balance because the seasons are about to balance out. We're coming to that spring equinox when the day and the nighttime are the, the same length. So we're looking at balance for that episode. Um, so it's thoughtful, it's funny, 
A um, lot of great music. Uh, I do an interview segment um, with with pals of mine and smart folks from uh, the industry. We've got some of the best voice actors in the world. Um, you can take a look at me trying to learn how to smoke a pipe right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool picture, though. Which was a lot of fun. Uh, that's our musical director, John Ballinger. He is toured with Rufus Wainwright, um, Dancing with the Stars. He is a superb multi-instrumentalist and arranger. There's Carolyn Almost. She's one of our writers. Uh, also an actor, her husband, Matt. Um, <clears throat> these two run a theater company here in L.A. called The Burglars of Ham, which do some of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And there's Double Batch Daddy. Those are twins, Tim and Tom Zender. And... Uh, and uh, Mike is their, is their drummer. That's my lovely wife, Anne. Aww. She's our co-creator and producer. We had Ray Chase on our first episode. Julia McIlvain, his lovely wife, who I was proud enough to marry. That's my kid, Ruby. She's a lot of fun. Um, Rebecca Metz was in the 52-year-old Bachelor, which we did in our last episode, along with the great Bill Salyers, who you've heard in Spider-Man 3 and The Regular Show and others. Um, Brian Kimmett and his wife, Mary O'Malley, uh, were just spectacular as our uh, narrators for the 52-year-old Bachelor. Um, and we interviewed Matt's dad, Dave. Uh, we talked about the worst mall in the world uh, for our holiday episode. Patty <laughs> Cumbie talked about um, dreaming up what you want, letting go of things that no longer serve you. She talked about how she, those are my dogs. Um, <laughs> How she, how she quit smoking by kind of just letting it go. Uh, it was a great conversation. She's a lot of fun. And then John and Uma, um, John's our musical director, and his wife Uma suffered a um, pretty serious brain aneurysm about 14 years ago. Uh, and so we talked about how they met that challenge. Because um, when I first met them, they were like the king and queen of the L.A. theater scene. Uh, John was a fucking rock star. Uh, so was Uma. They were just like the hot couple. Uh, and then he flew her out to New York to be with him, and she had a massive brain aneurysm, and their life's been forever changed. Um, but they stayed in love. Um, they worked through it. It's an amazing story, and we just got to the tiniest little bit of it during the podcast episode. Um, but that was from this month's episode. Awesome. Dropped a couple weeks ago, so yeah, well, it's a good. It's a good group of people. Hell yeah, and and fans of VisionCon Live will recognize Bill Salyers from a previous episode, so you know all these people are amazing people, guys. Now, real quick before we move on, all of the people watching us live here on Facebook or later on YouTube will have already seen all this info. But for our audio listeners on Spotify, where can folks find this show? Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's it's on Spotify. Um, sometimes the easiest way is just to type in my name because I spell it K E Y T H E, and that brings it right up. Um, there are one or two other live from the lounges that sort of started and and died, um, but it, they're all there. If you're on Stitcher or Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, iHeart Radio. Um, you can find live from the lounge uh, there. I invite you to and come on down and follow, um, subscribe. Um, it's a we're trying we're building a community. 
Uh, and it's a community of, of smart, funny, talented people who like music and movies and food. And guys, I have that link as well as several others if you're watching this live here on Facebook in the live chat or if you're watching this later on YouTube, got them all there down there in the description box below, guys. And with that, we're going to go to our next to last segment. And I'd like to reiterate one last time, a lot of you have already messaged MissionCom directly or put in the live chat your viewers' comments and questions. You have time to do so, but it is your last opportunity, guys, because ladies and gentlemen, we're in the plug zone. Keith Farley, now is your opportunity to promote, advertise, plug, whatever verb you want to use, anything you want. The floor is yours. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's, I love that, and thank you so much for giving me time to plug the podcast. Of course. <laughs> Outside of the plug zone. Um, <laughs> So yeah, you, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a director, actor, writer, and a coach. So if you're a, a budding voiceover um, professional, uh, I am available for coaching. Um, and you can find that at keithfarley.com. That's K-E-Y-T-H-E-F-A-R-L-E-Y.com. Uh, and you can find out how to reach me, reach out to me there. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I worked on there. Um, one that I'm kind of excited about that's coming out, and I want to plug something else that's been out for a couple of years, um, but people sometimes miss it because it's a small indie game, but it's one that I'm really proud of, uh, and I do want to support um, the indie developers in our community, the folks that are, are working out of their garages and their basements and their bedrooms and are making really, really interesting content. Um, speaking of interesting content, the one that's coming out um, later this year, haven't had, don't have an exact release date yet, but it is coming out later this year. Is a game called As Dusk Falls, and yeah. that's going to be a next gen, um, and it's going to be like a serialized video game. It's going to come out in six episodes for season one, uh, and uh, the trailer is pretty groovy. Um, it's about a um, a couple whose relationship is on the rocks, um, who end up breaking down and going to a, a, a motel in Arizona and they end up getting caught up in a um, crime that happens and then it just sort of spins out from there forward and backwards they've got a young daughter yeah here are the guys who are the criminals so we sort of go back and forth between these two stories we follow the family uh, in one and these guys that's the one first family. And then the second family are these guys, the criminal family. And so they're two stories that intersect. And the animation, as you'll see here, is really groovy. It's kind of a, I feel like a comic book, like you're flipping the pages. It's not photorealistic. And yet the stories are really, it's like Breaking Bad. It's an interactive Breaking Bad experience. And then she grows up and we catch her 16 years later going back and confronting the kid who was one of the criminal and the two families meet and, and uh, guys for those real quick for the guys watching either here on facebook or later on youtube there is audio and i highly recommend you guys watch this uh trailer yourselves let me don't, don't do that um and and that's a game i directed um and i have to say the joy of directing that game was being able to work in a 
on a script that's so good and with actors that are at the top of their game doing really, it's a story-driven adventure video game. Like I said, it is like a interactive Breaking Bad almost. Um, so it's one that I'm, I'm really, really proud of and I'm really excited to share uh, when it finally does come out. Yeah. Um, the other one. Well, like I was saying real quick, guys. Oh, yeah, go ahead, sure. The trailer does have audio, and I highly recommend you guys check it out yourselves. I have all those links. Again, if you're watching this live on Facebook, got them in the live chat, or if you're watching this later on YouTube, got down there in the description box below. The only reason you guys didn't hear an audio uh, when you were watching on here was A, so you could hear Keith talk about it clearly, but also B, I didn't want to mess with YouTube, maybe copy striking this, copyright striking this, so, but go check it out yourselves, guys. But anyway, Keith, continue. Uh, and the other game was one that I uh, performed in. Uh, you hear a lot of me in this game. Uh, it's called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. And it was done by Dim Bulb Games. Um, and it was a, a, one of the first games that signed to SAG-AFTRA's uh, independent, low-budget uh, indie game contract. Uh, and I was really proud to be asked to be a part of it. And I am basically your storyteller. Um, and the game is based around going around America and collecting and trading stories. So whenever you meet somebody in your travels and you ask them for their story, my voice is the one you hear. Um, and so like, I'm pretty heavily featured in this game. If you like listening to me talk, um, you're gonna dig this one. And this is the opening scene where you basically get into a card game um, with the, the wolf man there, with the devil kind of, and then he sends you off to discover stories and you've got to collect them to sort of get out of this this deal you made with the devil, who is played by Sting. Oh yeah. They managed to, to get Sting um, for this game. Um, and I got to have a little scene with him, even though we were not in the same room at the same time. Yeah, close um, It's another one of those little bucket lists like, oh. Okay. <laughs> <Check mark. laughs> Nifty. Um, <laughs> But this is a great game, kind of off the beaten path. If you're like, a, if you're a, you know, um, slash and dash fan, this game is probably not going to appeal to you. Um, but if you're, a, if you're into the stories, this is sort of the user interface. You sort of are this giant skeleton who wanders uh, America and you pick up stories and you trade them with other people. And then the stories change as they're retold. So you might come across a story six states away that someone else will tell you and it's changed a little bit and you start to see how that happens. Um, and uh, again, just superb writing from a team of writers. Uh, there's creepy stories, there's funny stories, there's um, silly stories, there's really deep, powerful stories of loss. It's just, again, completely off the beaten path, completely unlike anything you've ever played before. Um, but boy, I want to point you towards it. It's on Steam. Uh, it's at the PlayStation Store. You can get it pretty much everywhere. Um, but uh, it's, an, it's an independent game, and it's really, really, really interesting. And then one last time, guys, I got those all those links in the live chat if you're watching this live on Facebook or if you watch this later on YouTube. They'll be down there in the description box below, guys. And with that, we're out of the plug zone and going right into our final segment, viewers' comments and questions. Woo!
So like I usually do, guys, just going to do about a 50-50 split, some in the messenger, some in the live chat. So real quick, let me pull it up. Okay. So our first question comes from Raylene, who says, I just wanted to tell you, Keith, that the whole flashback sequence inside of Kellogg's head, I am obsessed with some of those speeches you give during it. So I wanted to ask how you felt about that whole flashback sequence. <laughs> um, it's really funny because we came up with a shorthand term for the speech pattern. We just called it um, shattering. <laughs> I can see that. Where you kind of break up everything that you're saying into small, easily digestible chunks, right? Um, but then with <laughs> with uh, with Thane's voice print and everything on top of that. So that was kind of the technical aspect of it. And then the the emotional aspect of it was, like we talked about before, was this trauma that's coming up for him, unbidden. And so while technically I'm sort of chewing and bouncing the stuff up at the same time it's a it's like a a volcano of emotion that's erupting uh in thane uh and these are really powerful moments um in the storytelling they're really powerful moments for me as a performer um and it was just a heck of a lot of fun to sort of match a, a, a technical aspect with a really deep emotional uh, part. So putting those those things together, whenever that happens, it's magic. And that was what all of those sequences were. Oh. Well, Nikki tuned in and said, "Did Hi, you Nikki. did you avoid voicing Thane and Thane's weird flashback speech pattern?" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. Very very much. And also, hi Raylene. <laughs> I didn't say hi. Um, I did. It, like I said, it's a, it was a, it was a gas to be able to come across that. It's like, can you just can you shatter that a little more, Keith? <laughs> I can definitely see the inspiration, though. Yeah, I'm right. sorry, I hope that doesn't ruin it for anybody. Wow. Um, well, Chris tuned in and said, "Hey, Keith, what was it like being the voice director for Rugrats? And did you have any standout moments when directing it?" Hey, Chris. Um, yeah. I was what they call in our business green when I walked into that room. Um, I had never voice directed before. I had directed some shows uh, at the Actors Gang. I'd always sort of written and directed stuff myself, um, created and directed and written stuff myself. But to walk into a room with E.G. Daly, Kath Susie, um, Cheryl Chase, uh, the great Chris Cavanaugh, God rest her soul. Uh, and then eventually to be with Tara, Tara Strong when she came on as Baby Dill. And then to have Jack Riley and Melanie Chartoff and Michael Bell and just an astonishing cast was intimidating. Uh, and it took me four, five, six months to really find a way to communicate clearly, efficiently, um, and to reduce my terror level from DEFCON 1 back down to DEFCON 5, where I felt like I could, like I could, I could hang in the room with these super pros. Um, it took a while, but once we sort of locked into it, um, I sort of discovered what I 
learned a lot about directing, which is you have to meet each individual actor where they are. Because E.G. is very different than Chris, is very different than Kath, was very different than Jack, was very different than Melanie. And I had to learn the best way to get the best performances. And the one other story that I'll tell quick, um, Chris Cavanaugh, who I have the utmost respect for, you know her not only from Rugrats, but from Dexter's Lab. Um, she played Babe. Uh, and she's, I think, one of the large reasons that movie was nominated for Best Picture was her performance in that film. Um, she had an uncanny ability to perform a line in an unexpected way that made it feel deeper. So she, you would hear it in your head. You sort of hear Chucky Finster going on in your head as you're reading the script. And then Chris comes in with this read that would just be like crazy curveball, but so right. And she was just someone that I, to this day, I, I am astonished by her gifts. Oh, so sweet. Yeah, I'm sad she's gone. Her rest of soul. But, so Sarah tuned in, and apologies for a bit of a odd transition, but uh, Sarah tuned in and said, hey Keith, hey Zach, my question for Keith is, when you did the magic shows when you were little, what were some of your favorite magic tricks? Sarah, what a great question. Um, give me a chance to geek out a little bit. There you go. Um, there, were, there were several that I remember. I, the Chinese Linking Rings was a showstopper. Um, that was a really good, good, uh, little whole shtick that I learned and I probably could still do it today if I had them handy. Um, there was a great one in one, in the, one of the first magic shows I ever did. I took a little class and the final, I got to do the bit where you turned a glass full of confetti into a glass full of candy. And that was a really good trick, especially for a young audience. Um, some of the others were sort of, there's a great card trick where you sort of, you pick a card and then we burn the card oh, shit. and then I bring out some oranges and you pick one of the oranges and we cut it open and your card is inside the orange. What? That was always a, that was a good one. Yeah, I can tell you about it. That was a good one. That was a fun one to learn. So there, there are, there are many, and some of the card tricks that I still you got to have a couple up your sleeve sure. <laughs> you know, for when you're playing hearts or rummy or any other card games. Like, we want to see a card trick? Okay, check this out. <laughs> we have time for two more questions, guys. Uh, the next one's coming from Caroline, who said, besides acting and directing, what do you like to do for fun or do you have any fun hobbies? I uh, play the ukulele. You can oh, see yeah. a couple of them back behind me there. I love that. I belong to the Ukulele Orchestra of the Western Hemisphere. If you want to go search us out, we've got a couple of videos on Vimeo uh, that we did, which are a lot of fun. Um, I play golf. I just I played golf this morning miserably. But <laughs> I still, beautiful weather here in California. I got out, walked around, swung a golf club, and had some fun with my pals. Um, Music is really is something that I really um, 
a joy that is is not by any stretch of the imagination going to be um, a professional pursuit of mine, um, but it's something that gives me a lot of joy. Singing with people, singing in choirs, um, singing um, at church, um, anywhere I can get together with people and sing. I, I love, love, love doing that. All right, well, our final question is from Ryan. He's got two questions. He said, hey, Mr. Farley, I right. had two questions. First one is, I just looked on your website for Live from the Lounge, and I noticed that some episodes are shorter than others. Was there a reason behind that, or was just that how long you had to talk about it? We sort of, I mean, again, we're not beholden to, and the great thing about podcasts is that they're not beholden to well, we got to do, you know, I worked in radio um, in my youth. So you don't have to worry about a live ID or the weather, the legal ID, um, all that stuff that the FCC requires that you do. And you don't have to conform to top of the hour, bottom of the hour, quarter after 20 past. So we have a format that we use and the, the podcasts all run between just under an hour to just over an hour. That's kind of the the sweet spot that we're looking for. But I don't want to have to cut tasty stuff to try to get it to an exact 60 minutes. I could, but it's just not necessary. Like I said, the first episode we did came in about 55 minutes, I think. The Light Returns, which was our holiday episode. And then they've just been gradually getting longer. <laughs> we'll see. And again, we're sort of, we're winging it over here. It's sort of like, um, it's an experiment. Uh, it's always an experiment. Like, okay, we switched the order for the love and loss episode a little bit. I think it works better um, with me talking more at the end. Uh, and then the fun stuff is all stacked up front. Um, yeah, it's about, it's, it's never going to, it's not going to run much past an hour 15, I don't think. It's a gradual process. Yeah. And then uh... and there are a couple little bar snacks. We do little bar snacks episodes sometimes that are just like when I made figgy pudding for the for the light returns episode because we did we looked at Christmas Carol and uh, figgy pudding was the perfect food to go with Christmas Carol and I did a flambe with the figgy pudding where I lit it on fire hell yeah so I had to talk about that of course uh, <laughs> for about eight minutes and uh, like you do when you're gonna set something on fire if you set something on fire, you gotta tell people. I had forgot to mention that you needed to warm the brandy. Oh. Or the oh. rum. The key to the flambe is to get the the mist coming off, which is where the alcohol is. Oh shit. So that's what catches fire. So word to the wise. <laughs> for those of you at home. And then brandy and rum, perfect, perfect liquors for that. Um, just heat them up a little bit. Don't boil them, just get them warm to where they're starting to steam and then they're ready to, to fire up and be careful. Well, speaking of fire up, his uh, second part of his question yes. says, did you ever successfully learn how to smoke out of a pipe? I'm getting there. You're getting there. I'm getting what, there. What's our nice collection? It? Here, I'll show you. I got oh, yeah. my food for Christmas. Look at these. Oh my God, those are beautiful. My wife got, got me these beautiful pipes. So this was the one that you see in the picture here. This beautiful pipe that came in from Denmark, I think. Oh my God. Beautiful piece of wood there. But it, it requires, it's been cold. It's been a little chilly to step outside and smoke a pipe. 
Um, but yeah, all these. This one here is fun. Is there another one? Ooh, really? Irish. A Gandalf. Ah, maybe for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Pull this baby out. Uh, I'm still working on it. Um, try not to smoke too much tobacco. I have some different herbal, uh, and I'm not using that euphemistically. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against it, by the way. <laughs> a couple of really nice little herbal, herbal blends. Um, but no, I still I have a lot. I still have a bit to learn in terms of getting it to where you can light it and then just kind of sit with it and enjoy it. I did it. All right, guys. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 52 of Fishing Con Live. Before we wrap things up, though, Keith, any final thoughts to leave us on? Sage-like wisdom, anything at all? I am just enormously grateful that you had me here today. Um, it's always uh, a joy for me to meet people that my work has, has touched. Um, in the theater, which I grew up in, uh, in live performance, you have a relationship with the audience that's happening in real time. Um, with film and TV and video games and voiceover and all that stuff, you don't, this is how we meet the, the fans. This is how we get, we can talk about and interact with each other about how you felt about what we did together um, to make these experiences happen for you. So it's just a, always a treat um, for me to to share, especially in person. Boy, I do miss that. Um, so I'm looking forward to to getting out on the road and, and maybe taking this live from the lounge experience, uh, making it a live experience that you can come and, and see and hear and participate in so and then getting back out to some conventions uh and just so that i can get in touch and stay in touch with y'all because that's what um really brings me joy well i mean that means so much to me and i did before we sign off i want to reiterate something plus add a little bit more details so the board of directors of vision con guys fabulous people and they have given me essentially all creative control of this show so uh, when we we talked about Live from the Lounge, outside of the plug zone, A, because yes, I think it is a very great concept, but I also wanted to let you know, guys, I'm a legitimate fan of the show as well. So I wanted to talk about it. So guys, I cannot recommend Live from the Lounge podcast. It is on essentially anywhere you can find podcasts on, you can find it. And again, all of the links are gonna be in the live chat if you're watching this live on Facebook or in the YouTube description if you're watching this later on YouTube, guys. So. Please do yourself a favor and check it and out. And if it's not, let us know. Hell yeah. There's a lot of ways to get in touch with us through the through the website or live from the lounge 640 at gmail.com. If there's a platform that you use that we're not on, we'll get on it. So let us know. Hell yeah. All right, guys. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the 52nd episode of VisionCon Live. Thank you guys so much for watching. I, of course, am your host, Zach Wilson, but much more importantly, this has been my very special guest, Keith Farley. Make sure to check out all the links down in the description box below, guys. And until next time, always remember, life's better when you have friends to share it with, guys. <laughs>